The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Will the First Minister remind us what was the promise she made seven years ago about the attainment gap in Scotland schools? First Minister. It was to close the attainment gap uh, over uh, this parliament. I think at the time I made that commitment, it was uh, referenced as being within a decade. I still uh, remain committed to doing that and happy during the course of uh, this question and, of course, to talk about the progress that we're making. Douglas Ross. Well, it was to close the attainment gap, not to keep it where it was, not to narrow it a little, not to make some modest progress. No, Nicola Sturgeon wanted, and I quote, to close the attainment gap completely. But figures published this week confirm that the attainment gap at primary school is even wider than it was three years ago. It's wider for reading, for writing, for literacy and for numeracy. The attainment gap isn't closing. Since Nicola Sturgeon made this pledge, there has been no progress. Hasn't the First Minister failed to keep her promise to young people across Scotland? First Minister. Uh, no, uh, and just to be precise, because I always like to be precise, the, the specific commitment that was made uh, was to substantially eliminate uh, the attainment gap, and just for the avoidance of doubt. That, well, that, that was, that was the wording. That was the wording in uh, our manifesto, uh, and I stand uh, by that completely. Uh, and pre-pandemic, uh, the poverty-related attainment gap was closing. Uh, the negative impact of the pandemic cannot be ignored in Scotland or elsewhere. In fact, the Department for Education uh, south of the border said this about the attainment gap. Uh, Disruption to learning during the pandemic has had a greater impact on disadvantaged pupils. So that's something uh, that is not unique to Scotland. But what we actually see in the statistics published this week uh, is that uh, recovery is now uh, underway and we're starting to see improvements again. So the percentage of pupils achieving the expected levels in 21-22, which is what the latest statistics cover, is higher uh, than the previous year for all primary school ages. In fact, uh, we saw the largest single-year increase in primary school literacy and numeracy since the data collection began. And there is also signs that the attainment gap is again uh, narrowing, with the biggest single-year decrease in the gap in primary uh, and literacy levels again since records began. Uh, so that is the progress we are making. Was that interrupted by COVID? Of course it was in countries across the world. Uh, but we continue uh, to see that progress and of course we remain committed uh, to driving further progress. Uh, we also see that progress in exam results. Uh, they show the gap between attainment levels in the least and most deprived areas narrowing uh, from the 2019 level, which was of course the, uh, the pre-pandemic year. And we've also had university application end of cycle data uh, in the last few days as well. A record uh, number of 18-year-old Scots uh, securing a university place this year. And the number of 18-year-olds from the most deprived areas has also increased by 31% since 2019, uh, again to a record high and again demonstrating the progress we're making on closing the attainment gap and widening access. Douglas Ross. It's, 
It's telling. When I have a short question, the First Minister tells the truth, because she did tell us that she promised to close the attainment gap. When she's got time to ruffle through her big folder, uh, she doesn't actually accept that, and she says the promise uh, has been met. It hasn't. She has failed people across Scotland. And yet again, presiding officer, what we get from the First Minister is the COVID shield coming out to protect her. But let's look at pre-pandemic, because even in the few areas where there was some very limited progress before the pandemic, the improvement was less than 1% per year. It would have taken over four decades to close the gap at primary school level if we had carried on at that level. And at secondary school, the curriculum for excellence attainment gap wasn't even closing at all. And the First Minister still tries to say this year's results are a positive. But the fact is, the gap has only just returned to the 2016 levels where the First Minister made the pledge. Basically, she wants us to believe we're winning the race, when in fact we've only just got back to the starting line. This year's figures show that at least one in five pupils are still not meeting the expected level for each of the essential core subjects. That's what the First Minister defines as progress. One in five children not reaching the standard we expect. And what, this, what makes this even more ridiculous is what the First Minister said in 2015. These are her words. If you're not, as First Minister, prepared to put your neck on the line over the education of our children, then what are you prepared to do? First Minister, do you still stand by those words? First Minister. 100% there are uh, fewer things, if anything, more important than the opportunities we give our children and young people. Of course, when we talk about the attainment gap, uh, we, to be accurate, should talk about the poverty-related attainment gap, because it is poverty that drives that. And of course, one of the measures of our commitment to tackling that is putting money into the pockets of the poorest families in the country, at the same time as Douglas Ross's party takes money out of the pockets of the poorest families in our country. Now, just to go back to the specifics, firstly, um, I do accept and did accept the premise of his first question. Um, I, I then went on simply to give the precise language that we use uh, so that there is no dubiety. Uh, secondly, and Douglas Ross, uh, if he likes accuracy, uh, should perhaps uh, start to practice it. I didn't say the target had been met. Uh, that's a target for 2026, what I said, and backed up with lots of evidence is that progress is being made. Uh, thirdly, uh, I wasn't using COVID as a shield. Um, I was citing, I was citing the evidence. Thank you. I was citing the evidence of the impact of COVID, uh, the same way the Department of Education south of the border uh, do. Disruption to learning during the pandemic has had a greater impact on disadvantaged pupils. Um, or if he doesn't want uh, to take the word uh, of a government run by his own party, how about uh, the CEO of the Education Endowment Foundation? The findings add to a heavy body of evidence telling us that socioeconomic inequality in education already entrenched before the pandemic has uh, grown. Uh, again, though, we are seeing progress in narrowing the attainment gap. We see it in the figures published this week. We see it in exam results. We see it in access to university. It's not yet job done, which is why I stand by everything I said, that it's one of the most important things this government is doing, and that's why we'll continue to take the action to achieve it. Dr. Schultz. Progress. 
progress, First Minister. Just look at the percentage of S3 pupils achieving uh, 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 third level or better in literacy. The attainment gap in 2016-17, 13.6%. In 2021-2022, 16.3%. That is not progress, First Minister. A First Minister who told everyone, everyone, to judge her on her record on education. It was to be her number one priority, the big test in her time in office. But she's failed on the attainment gap, failed on class sizes, failed on standards, failed on violence in schools, failed on teacher numbers. Nicola Sturgeon wanted us to judge her on education. She said her neck was on the line. If that is the case, if the First Minister wants to be judged on education, if her job is on the line, if, as she said, there are fewer things more important than education, then why doesn't Nicola Sturgeon ditch the de facto referendum and make the next election all about her record on Scotland schools? First Minister. Well, I tell you, presiding officer, uh, the judge uh, of how long I stay in this job uh, isn't actually Douglas Ross. The judge of that is the people of Scotland. And on all evidence, the people of Scotland think that when it comes to choice between me and any of the other leaders uh, in this uh, chamber, uh, then they want me uh, to be First Minister. I take that responsibility uh, very seriously and I will continue uh, to do the, the job to the very uh, best of my ability. Um, we will continue to take the action. He talks about teacher numbers. There are more teachers uh, per head of uh, uh, population in terms of our pupil population in Scotland uh, than anywhere else in the UK, including where the Conservatives are in power. Spending on education in Scotland is higher than it is where the Conservatives Thank are you. in power. And of course, as I have already demonstrated, while there is considerable work to do, we are making progress in narrowing the attainment gap. We're seeing that in the figures this week, we're seeing it in exam results, and we're seeing it in the fact that a record number of 18-year-olds from deprived areas are now going to university, something that I am proud of, and everybody across Scotland should be proud of as well. Question number two, Anna Sarwell. officer, everybody in our country has been touched by cancer, either directly or through a family member or friend. Cancer remains Scotland's biggest killer. We have treatment waiting standards for a reason, because we know the faster you are diagnosed, the faster you start treatment, the more likely you are to survive. But the government has not met the 62-day standard for 10 years, and now not even the 31-day standard. It is now the worst it has ever been. So when will our cancer treatment standards be met? First Minister. Well, on the 31-day standard, uh, performance has dipped very marginally this quarter, below 95%. And of course, we will work with health boards uh, to get that back up. The 62-day uh, urgent uh, suspicion of cancer uh, referral to first treatment uh, is not being uh, met, uh, but we are taking a range of actions uh, to secure uh, improvement there. One thing that is important, though, these are percentage targets, and we set those targets, so I am not suggesting for a minute that they are not important. But when we look at the numbers treated 
on both of these pathways, uh, what we see is a significant increase. More patients were treated on both the 62 and 31 day pathways uh, in this latest quarter compared to the previous quarter, but also in this latest quarter compared to the same time last year and indeed to the last full quarter before the COVID pandemic. Indeed, uh, we are treating 35% more on the 62-day pathway uh, now than 10 years ago and just under 16% more on the 31-day pathway compared to 10 years ago. Uh, so that is uh, evidencing the fact uh, that there are more patients going through and being treated on those pathways, which is important because the premise of Anna Sarwar's question is absolutely correct. Uh, we need to see urgent treatment uh, for cancer. Uh, so if we look at the 31-day uh, performance target, the median uh, wait for treatment there is four days. On the 62-day uh, standard, the median wait for treatment is 48 days, and we will continue to take action to improve that even further. Anna Sarwar. The First Minister is right. The, the numbers are important because the situation is stark. It figures out this week's show that in the last three months alone, over 1,000 people did not start their treatment on time. And this has devastating consequences. Cancer was already Scotland's biggest killer. But in the past year, there have been 198 more cancer deaths above the five-year average. That's 198 more families who have lost a loved one. This NHS crisis is costing lives. Now, we were told to expect a catch-up plan, but instead things continue to get worse. Patients worried about their diagnosis, Families anxious for treatment to start, uh, people who have lost a loved one, they are watching. So I ask again, when will our cancer treatment standards be met? First Minister. Uh, I'll come on in a second to the range of actions we are taking to meet the percentage targets, which are important. But the numbers I'm talking about here are important for the very reasons Anna Sarwar talks about, because the numbers uh, do signify uh, individual patients uh, with cancer. Uh, so the figure I, I gave uh, a moment ago, and I gave it in percentage terms, uh, you know, 10 uh, years ago on the 62-day pathway uh, in the uh, quarter that we're talking about just now, 3,110 people were seen on that pathway. In the most recent quarter, 4,161. Uh, on the other uh, pathway, uh, 10 years ago, 5,500. Uh, today, almost 6,500. What does that say? Our cancer services are seeing more patients uh, and they're seeing more patients on those urgent pathways and that is important and that is important for individuals. However, there is more work to do here. We're investing, uh, for example, £40 million over uh, the next few years to support cancer services and specifically to improve waiting times, particularly focused on urology, colorectal and breast cancer, uh, because these are the pathways under the, the greatest uh, challenge. We're investing in the endoscopy and urology diagnostic plan. Uh, we have uh, six one-stop uh, urology diagnostic hubs. We're committed uh, to earlier diagnosis through the rapid cancer diagnostic services that are coming on stream. So all of this work is important uh, to further improve uh, this performance, but it is really important also to recognise uh, the volume of work our cancer services are doing each and every single day. Anna Sarwar. The fact that the First Minister can't escape from is treatment standards not being met means people not being diagnosed in time, treatment not starting in time, and people losing their lives. The standard response of the First Minister is not going to comfort those people that can't get the treatment and are losing a loved one. 
because there's not been a single day of Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister where she has met the 62-day cancer treatment standard. Not a single day. Now, the First Minister might not want to listen to me, but this is what Macmillan Cancer Support said this week. Cancer waiting times have been getting worse for years. And today's figures show the worrying trend continues right across the country, even before the added pressure of winter is factored in. They are raising the alarm again about cancer care in Scotland. Because if doctors suspect someone has cancer, patients rightly expect to be diagnosed and treatment, tr treated in time. This is costing lives. After 15 years in government, 10 years as First Minister, when the 62-day standard has never been met, it's important we get a straight answer. So I ask again, when will both cancer treatment standards be met? One year? Five years? Ten years? Never? When? First Minister. We will continue to work each and every day to meet not just these uh, targets, but all targets across our health service. Uh, that is happening right now in the most challenging of circumstances, as I think everybody uh, knows. The fact of the matter is, though, because of the investments that are being made, because of the actions that are being taken, uh, the capacity of our cancer services is increasing, and that is demonstrated by the increase in the number of patients being treated on these pathways, which is important. Of course, we need to see even more treated there, but I repeat the point I made earlier on. Uh, for the 31-day standard, the median waiting time is not 31 uh, days, it's four days from a decision to treat a cancer patient to the treatment actually starting. And for the 62-day uh, standard, which is from urgent referral to treatment, the median waiting time is 48 days. So we will continue we will continue to take the action to improve that uh, further. And I do listen. I listen uh, very carefully to what is said in this chamber. I also uh, listen very carefully, and we work very closely with organisations like Macmillan Cancer, who do such a good job uh, across uh, cancer services. And, of course, it is uh, because we take all of this so seriously that we have put so much effort into, and will continue to put so much effort into, ensuring that we reward those working in our NHS uh, as well as we possibly can and so that today we're the only part of uh, the UK where there are not uh, strikes within our National Health Service. Uh, so the commitment, the commitment we give to our National Health Service, which will be demonstrated in the budget this afternoon, uh, is to continue to build capacity uh, so that we continue to improve treatment for patients uh, with cancer and indeed patients who present to the NHS for any reason. Thank you. I will take constituency and general supplementaries after question six. Members who have pressed have no need to do so um, again. And at question number three, I call Rachel Hamilton. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government plans to address reported shortages of antibiotics in light of the growing number of Strep A cases. First Minister. Uh, medicine supply is, of course, a, a reserve matter. Uh, however, the Health Secretary has uh, discussed this issue with the UK Government uh, to seek assurances about the supply of antibiotics to treat Group A strep in response to the sharp increase in demand. It is advised that manufacturers currently have adequate supply of antibiotics in the UK and wholesalers and manufacturers are working at speed to continually replenish stock. Uh, Scottish Government officials have issued a medicine supply alert notice providing advice to healthcare professionals on prescribing options, including alternative antibiotics, if the first line option is unavailable. In addition to that, work is underway to further strengthen the resilience of the supply chain, such as releasing antibiotics from medicine stockpiles, increasing 
manufacturing of antibiotic liquid preparation and uh, where necessary importing additional supplies. Rachel Hamilton. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Just today, the Health Secretary claimed that there were no shortages of antibiotics here. And at the same time, NHS Scotland said that a medicine supply alert was imminent. Doctors in my constituency in the borders have described the situation as horrendous. Hospital staff and pharmacists have echoed these concerns. And chemists, First Minister, cannot even get hold of liquid penicillin to treat kids with sore throats. Does the First Minister accept that the Health Secretary needs to be more aware of the seriousness of this situation around the supply of antibiotics in Scotland instead of burying his head in the sand. First Minister. Can I, look, this is a really serious issue. It involves the health of children and I, I, I do believe all of us uh, take that seriously and I think we should treat the issue um, in that vein. Um, nobody is burying their head in the sand over this. Uh, notwithstanding the fact, as I said earlier on, medicine supply is actually a reserve matter. It is not uh, within the responsibility of this parliament and government. Uh, we do take our responsibilities seriously. The cabinet had a very lengthy uh, discussion this week um, on strepi generally, but the issue of antibiotic supply in particular. The Chief Pharmaceutical Officer uh, took part in that discussion. Uh, we are of course aware of some localised supply problems with penicillin and amoxicillin liquid preparations due to the increase in demand across the whole of the UK. But these types of demand shortages are not uncommon. The NHS has robust systems in place to deal uh, with them. And the assessment right now is that there is sufficient supply within the UK to meet these needs. Um, that said, though, where there are shortages of liquid penicillin, for example, uh, that is why notices are put out about the alternatives that can be used, solid form uh, of the same antibiotics or sometimes alternative antibiotics. Um, and with alternative antibiotics, we do have the option of drawing down from medicine stockpiles. So these are issues of the utmost seriousness. And I would ask all members to uh, treat them in that way. Everybody takes this very seriously and we're all working hard and working together to make sure there is a good response uh, now in the face of this rising demand. Jackie Bailey. Many parents from my constituency were in touch last week about the lack of antibiotics for their children who were suspected of having strep A. One mother with a two-year-old child had to contact over 20 pharmacies before their prescription was filled. At the start of last week, Hamza Youssef told this chamber that there was no problem with supply. But unfortunately, that is not the reality, and he was clearly confused, as your government have just issued an antibiotic shortage alert. Can the First Minister tell us whether Hamza Youssef was wrong? Will she outline what steps she will take to address these supply chain issues and reassure parents? First Minister. Uh, Jackie Bailey stood up there and uh, acted as if she was giving information uh, that was somehow new. Um, I said in my original answer uh, that Scottish Government had issued a medicine supply alert notice, and we do that for a particular reason, and I'll come back to that. I've already covered it, but I will come back to that. Uh, Hamza Yousaf uh, has been and continues to be right in what he says here. Uh, there is no overall shortage of antibiotics, but in a case where there is a surge in demand, we will often, uh, and not just in the case of Strep A, but in other situations, there will be localised shortages. But there are systems in place within the NHS to deal 
with that. Um, and of course, where uh, the particular first-line antibiotic for any condition um, may be in shortage, there are alternatives, and that actually is the purpose or part of the purpose uh, of the supply notice to advise uh, healthcare practitioners if liquid penicillin. Uh, for example, which is the first line uh, here, is not available, then the alternatives that can be used. This is the proper way of doing this. Everybody is treating this with the utmost seriousness. I come back to the, uh, the factual point. Medicine supply is not within the responsibility of this government. Unfortunately, it is a reserved matter. Uh, we continue to work with the UK government, but we also continue to do everything we can to ensure adequate supply, and that is what we will do. Question number four, Stuart McMillan. Thank you, Jenny Osler, to ask the First Minister what impact the self-isolation support grant has had on low-income workers who have contracted COVID-19. First Minister. Uh, grants of £73 million have been made to low-income workers and their families to help them isolate from COVID-19. This support has helped over 150,000 low-income households all over Scotland since the scheme began in October 2020. Uh, when the UK Government removed the £20 universal credit top-up, we continued offering the grant to all low-income households who would have been eligible previously. Uh, the grant, of course, was a temporary measure, while self-isolation was an essential tool to control COVID. Uh, the scheme will close from the 5th of January uh, next year. However, we will be able to reinstate it quickly if circumstances Required it. Stuart McMillan. Thank the First Minister for that reply. And this payment was crucial for many people during the pandemic and was the longest running scheme of its kind in the UK. And does the First Minister agree with me that this payment, in addition to the Scottish Child Payment, shows that this Parliament does have the best interests of the people of Scotland, along with tackling poverty at the heart of decision making? And with the full powers of independence, we could do so much more without the need to mitigate decisions made in Westminster, which are punishing the poorest in society. First Minister. It's always, um, it's always really striking, presiding officer, just how uncomfortable um, the Scottish Conservatives get when poverty gets mentioned yeah, yeah. Uh, in this chamber. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure it's always yeah. visible to people watching at home, uh, but the catcalling and the heckling and the shuffling in the seats uh, always start from the Conservatives because they know, Thank they you. know deep down inside, or not even so deep down inside, that their party is pushing more and more people into poverty every single week. It is the responsibility of this government to do everything we can to lift people out of poverty. The Scottish Child Payment um, is the foremost example of that. But during times of extremity, um, at the height of the COVID pandemic, uh, the self-isolation payment was a very important uh, tool. And 150,000 low-income households all over the country were helped through that. So it was an important measure. Um, hopefully it will not be necessary again, but we stand ready to reintroduce it uh, should circumstances dictate that it is necessary. Mark Griffin. Thank you, President Officer. Can I ask the First Minister if the Scottish Government will extend eligibility for their new employment injuries assistance to key workers suffering with long COVID, caught at work and now unable to return? First Minister. Um, I'm certainly happy to look into uh, that uh, issue. Um, we will do everything, and I can say this in general terms, uh, to help those who continue to be impacted uh, by COVID. So I'm, I'm happy to look into the detail of that particular question uh, and revert to the member as soon as possible. Thank you. Question number five, Carol Mocken. Thank you. To ask the First Minister, further to her commitment in June that a women's health champion for Scotland would be appointed in the summer, whether such an appointment will be made before Christmas. First Minister. 
A number of uh, very high quality candidates have been interviewed for this important role and the appointments process is now in its final stages and the Health Secretary will provide an update to Parliament uh, early in the new year. Um, addressing women's health inequalities, of course, is much bigger than just one uh, person, but there's no doubt that the appointment of a women's health champion is an important part of our women's health plan. Uh, that's why we have invested the time necessary to consider the, the very best candidate uh, for this role. The appointment has taken a bit longer than we had uh, envisaged that it would, but as I said, uh, that process is now in its final stages. Carol Mocken. I thank the First Minister for that answer and it is disappointing. I cannot say that I am surprised by the news that the appointment will not be made before Christmas. The First Minister promised in June that the appointment would be made during the summer. The Women's Health Minister told me in September that the announcement would be made very soon and the Cabinet Secretary for Health advised in October that appointment would be imminent. With health inequalities impacting women from deprived areas disproportionately, women's health matters not being considered and treated with respect in the workplace, and diagnosis rates in cancer that specifically impact women remaining stubbornly high, we need a women's health champion. We needed a women's health champion. Uh, Timelessly. The First Minister knows this delay is unacceptable. Will the First Minister commit to personally ensuring the appointment is one of her very first actions in 2023? First Minister. I've already set out that the Health Secretary will update Parliament very early in the new year. What I think would be unacceptable with an appointment like this is to make an appointment uh, of somebody we didn't think, whatever their skills and attributes, was the best person for the role. It's essential that we get uh, the right person with the right skills, the right expertise, um, and that is what I am confident uh, we will do. And as I said, that process is in its final stages. Of course, important though it is, and I do actually agree very much with the member, obviously, that the appointment of a women's health champion is important, but the delivery of the Women's Health Plan it does not rest solely on that. We continue to take forward uh, the strands of the Women's Health Plan, but there is uh, no doubt uh, that our ability to do that uh, will be augmented with the appointment early in the new year. Question number six, Ross Greer. Thank you. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government is supporting public transport to be better used and more affordable. First Minister. Uh, we're taking very decisive action to widen access to and maintain the affordability of public transport, uh, particularly during the current cost of living crisis. Uh, up to 2.3 million people in Scotland, 2.3 million people in Scotland are now able to access free bus travel through the schemes for older and disabled people and for those aged under 22. Uh, since we launched the under 22 scheme in January, uh, over 35.6 million journeys have been made, providing access to jobs, education and leisure, while enabling younger people to develop sustainable travel habits early in life. Uh, we have also frozen uh, rail fares until at least March uh, next year uh, and have likewise intervened to hold fares in the Northern Isles ferry network to current levels until again the end of March next year. Ross Greer. <coughs> the First Minister is right to highlight the success of free bus travel for under 22s, in particular an initiative first secured by the Scottish Greens when we were in opposition, in which we have been proud to see delivered since joining the Government. The Butte House Agreement commits the Scottish Government and Scottish Greens to take a number of actions intended to boost public transport usage and improve affordability, including a community bus fund, significant infrastructure upgrades through STPR2, such as the Clyde Metro, and action on fares. Does the First Minister agree, given the comments of the Committee on Climate Change last week, that making bus and rail usage more reliable and affordable is essential to meeting Scotland's climate ambitions. 
First Minister. Uh, yes, I agree very much with that. And let me say um, I would also agree with and take the opportunity to recognise the fact that free bus travel for uh, those under age 22 uh, is one of the, the great examples uh, of the partnership uh, in this government between the SNP and the Green Party, something that I know uh, the Conservatives and Labour uh, in particular love hearing about. Um, but while it's important to incentivise uh, public transport, that on its own uh, will not be enough to drive down sector emissions and uh, cars of course account for nearly 40% of transport emissions so I agree with the committee on climate change that we also need plans to discourage car use to accompany current plans to encourage active travel and the use of public transport uh, and the need for both of those things is set out in a route map on the 20% reduction in car kilometres by 2030. Um, and as well as the action I've outlined already, the ongoing fair fares review will ensure a sustainable and integrated approach to public transport fares in the future. So all of these actions uh, are important and necessary, and this uh, SNP Green government will continue to take them. Graham Simpson. When are we going to see the national smart travel card that the SNP promised us over six years ago? First Minister. Well, I think as I've demonstrated, the actions this government is taking uh, on public transport, uh, I think, stand comparison with that of any government across these islands. Uh, and we'll continue to progress Thank you. all of these actions, uh, unlike governments elsewhere. We now move to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call Beatrice Wishart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. On Monday, the appalling weather in Shetland caused major power line faults and cut off nearly 4,000 properties. I want to thank all those involved in trying to resolve this major incident and the impact on residents who have shown great community strength and resilience, but some are facing a fourth day without power. Regular information updates from SSEN and Shetland Islands Council have been well reported in local media, but what can the Scottish Government do to address communication issues when the power is down, digital landlines have run out of backup power and mobile signal is patchy? How can ho households access key information with dead batteries and no internet? Will the Scottish Government provide more resource for communication resilience to deal with episodes like this and Storm Arwen last year with more frequent adverse weather events likely due to the climate crisis? First Minister. Well, that is a very pertinent uh, and timely question uh, from Beatrice Wisher. Obviously, parts of Shetland uh, continue to experience an extended loss of power. Uh, SSEN is making every effort to restore supplies, uh, but many properties have already been off power uh, for days. Uh, a major incident has been declared by local agencies and a significant response is being mobilised and uh, is currently mobilised to support the affected communities. I, I can tell the Chamber that as of this morning, these numbers may have moved on uh, since uh, then, but as of this morning, 2,400 customers remain offline across Shetland, uh, with 2,899 having been restored uh, since the beginning of the power cut. Resources continue to be deployed to Shetland and SSEN currently has a 60-strong team out in the field working on repairing damage. Another 62 field staff will arrive by ferry this morning um, and includes mutual aid uh, support workers from Scottish Power Energy Networks and Northern Power uh, Grid. Uh, approximately 20 further field staff will arrive by ferry tomorrow morning, uh, which will take the total number of staff working to restore power in Shetland to approximately 140. 
Scottish Government Resilience Operation was formally activated on Tuesday to provide whatever support and coordination we can. There will be a further uh, meeting of SCORE uh, taking place this afternoon. I will take the point about communications resilience uh, to uh, those in that meeting and ask uh, for consideration of what more the Scottish Government can do to support the communication efforts, because that uh, is important, although I know everybody is working hard to communicate information uh, as, as best as they possibly can. Final piece of information, the, the Justice Secretary, uh, who of course has ministerial responsibility for resilience, is currently en route uh, to uh, Shetland uh, to see for himself uh, the operation that is underway. Rona Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. New research from, the Joseph, Round, from Joseph Rowntree shows 7.2 million people are going without basics and 4.7 million are struggling to pay their bills. At the same time, the Child Poverty Action Group have published a report which shows that the cost of bringing up a child is significantly lowered in Scotland as a result of Scottish Government interventions. But given most of the key levers are reserved, what action does the First Minister think the UK Government urgently needs to take to help people through the winter? First Minister. Thanks. We're getting the same uh, response from the yeah, Conservatives yeah, again uh, yeah. at the mention don't care about of poverty. poverty. Don't care about poverty that Can I say much. to the Scottish Conservatives, Presiding Officer, no matter how uncomfortable it makes uh, them, this Government and my party in this Parliament will never stop talking about the scourge of poverty, particularly child poverty, and our determination to tackle and to eradicate it. <laughs> the actions we are taking chief amongst them the Scottish Child Payment is lowering the cost of raising a child in Scotland. That is positive and we will continue uh, to look for all possible ways to do that. And in response to the question uh, what the UK Government could most usefully do uh, is emulate the example of the Scottish Government and introduce their own equivalent of the Scottish Child Payment. Miles Briggs. Thank you, President Officer. There's growing concerns around the financial resilience of hospices across Scotland. The sector faces significant pressures with regards to staffing and energy costs. I met with local hospices here in my own region who report that they're already supporting the delivery of core services from their reserves. And one of the impacts of the pandemic is more people needing to move to palliative care, First Minister. So can I ask, will the First Minister personally agree to convene urgent talks with the sector and undertake a review of match funding for the hospice care sector as that's now fallen to one of the lowest levels we've ever seen. First Minister. I, I will certainly undertake to ensure that there are discussions uh, directly with the sector. Uh, the government, of course, will liaise with the sector um, regularly on a, a range of issues. But yes, I will uh, ensure that there are specific conversations uh, about the pressures that they are facing, in common, of course, with uh, other parts of the voluntary sector uh, and the statutory uh, National Health Service um, and other parts of the statutory uh, sector, all of them dealing with the impact of rising inflation um, and or increased inflation and uh, increased energy costs. Um, of course, our budget this afternoon uh, will very much have at its heart uh, our determination to help uh, service delivering uh, these frontline services across the country as much as we possibly can, uh, but I'll ensure that officials and ministers uh, liaise with the hospice sector to see what more support that we may be able to provide. Martin Whitfield. I'm very grateful, <coughs> presiding officer. I was contacted by a student this week who was forced to go to the library the day before her exam because her flat was dangerously cold. Lucy Penman said she can't afford to keep the heating on for more than an hour and a half. And in her words, her fingers were losing feeling. Her friends are in a similar situation. Mm -hmm. Presiding officer, students across Scotland right now are struggling with a surge in fuel bills over this winter period, and they need urgent intervention from the Scottish Government. 
So what does the First Minister have to say to Lucy and her friends who are struggling to keep warm during this winter period? Will she also commit her government to support the NUS Scotland's Fighting for Students campaign for extra support? Scotland students don't need warm words, but they do want to see real action. First Minister. Well, I appreciate how difficult things are right now for, for students, as they are difficult for everybody, uh, given rising energy costs uh, and other inflationary pressures. Um, we provide universities with funding so that they can provide uh, hardship funds uh, to students uh, who need them, um, and universities uh, should make their students aware of how to access uh, that funding. Um, and we will continue to work with NUS in Scotland, as we have done over many years, uh, to look at how we best support students uh, generally, but particularly in these difficult times. Of course, we already do uh, much to support students to make sure that student debt is much lower in, in Scotland than it is in other parts of the UK, not least through uh, free tuition uh, here in Scotland. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, the driving factors behind increased energy costs don't lie uh, within the powers of this government. Um, I hope that one day soon they will, so that we can tackle so many of these issues at root cause rather than continue to have to deal with just the symptoms of them. Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister for her response to the UK Government's Department for Levelling Up's update on the funding for displaced Ukrainians and the funding implications for Scotland's public sector support. First Minister. The announcement does represent a significant cut in the funding available uh, to deliver public services to those uh, in need. Um, I think it is counterproductive and short-sighted uh, uh, for the UK Government to making these cuts to the uh, the, the tariff uh, for local councils and will be joining with the Welsh Government in making clear our opposition uh, to these. Uh, right now, Ukrainians displaced by the war don't need less support, they need more support and we've continually called on the UK Government to extend uh, funding in line with the three-year visa. Of course, Scotland has the highest number of arrivals by population share in the UK as we continue to seek to provide a place of safety. Um, we use our own budget uh, to do that um, and will continue to do so, but the UK Government needs to continue to step up and fulfil its responsibilities and will continue to encourage them to do exactly that. Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. It's been reported that 230,000 birds have been killed in Aberdeenshire following six distinct outbreaks of avian flu. The Chief Vet says this occurs after housing flocks and with no concerns over management practices. Now, of course, the impact on bird populations is tragic, but there will also be an impact on farmers. So, First Minister, what is the Scottish Government doing to help those farmers who fear their livelihoods are threatened by this terrible tragedy? First Minister. Well, firstly, uh, bird flu is uh, a significant concern uh, right now, and both the Chief Vet and the Cabinet Secretary, Mary Goujon, monitor uh, the situation uh, very carefully. The measures that are in place in Scotland, of course, uh, are given very serious consideration on an ongoing basis, and I know the Chief Vet has uh, spoken at length about the basis on, of the decisions uh, that we have taken so far. Um, in terms of uh, the impact on farmers, it is absolutely right uh, that this has a big uh, impact, and we will continue to liaise uh, with the farming community about how we best support them uh, through what is an extremely challenging period. Karen Adam. <clears throat> Thank you, President Officer. The threat Tory ideology poses to Scottish society continues to loom large. Their actions pose a direct threat to our drive for net zero and combating the twin crises of climate change and biodiversity loss. 
Efforts arising from the latest support from the Nature Restoration Fund are threatened by the retained EU law bill, potentially undermining our ability to protect Scotland's environment. And this week's PricewaterhouseCoopers report revealed that Scotland's just transition to net zero is at risk from the Tories' post-Brexit immigration policy. Can the First Minister update Parliament on any recent discussions the Scottish Government has had regarding the UK Government investment in the Scottish Cluster and the ACORN CCS and Hydrogen project? First Minister. Well, firstly, the retained EU law bill, which sounds very technical and abstract, it does put at very real risk the high standards people in Scotland have come to expect as a result of EU membership. It threatens to eliminate 47 years of environmental protections, food standards, worker right, workers' rights and much else in a rush to facilitate a deregulated race to the bottom economy. Um, Angus Robertson has written twice to the Secretary of State in charge uh, of the bill, uh, including with proposed amendments that would limit the damage of that bill. There has uh, to date been no reply. Uh, of course, the approach to immigration, as uh, the member rightly says, also uh, uh, is a threat to Scotland's prosperity um, and also a threat to our progress to net zero. Specifically on uh, CCUS and ACORN, we continue to press uh, the UK Government uh, to include uh, that project in its support for carbon capture um, and I hope we will see some uh, positive movement from the UK Government in the not-too-distant future. Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. A poll revealed this morning that the vast majority of Scots are opposed to your gender reform bill, including the removal the of chair, key please. safeguards Through the chair, such, please. Including the removal of key safeguards such as lowering the age when one can legally change their gender to 16. First Minister, how many more warnings do you need before you listen to the concerns of the women and keep the safeguards that are currently exist? First Minister. Firstly, uh, Presiding Officer, it is for this Parliament uh, to decide whether it passes this legislation as it is for this Parliament to decide whether it passes any piece of legislation. Uh, there is full uh, scrutiny underway right now and of course uh, Parliament will next uh, look at uh, the proposals in plenary session next week. Um, this bill doesn't create a single new right uh, for trans people. Uh, all it does is simplify existing uh, processes. I would encourage anybody who hasn't already done so uh, to uh, read the comments uh, of the UN uh, official this morning, uh, who of course uh, has already given uh, evidence to the committee, setting out in detail uh, why this bill actually uh, in his view, it brings uh, Scotland into line with its international obligations. There are significant safeguards uh, in the bill. Uh, of course, the concerns uh, that, this, uh, that men uh, may abuse uh, provisions about uh, trans people to harm uh, women. Uh, one of the comments the UN official is making is that there is no evidence in any of the countries that already have uh, a bill like this in place that that is the case. Uh, but if any man uh, was to seek to do so. This bill uh, does not increase their ability uh, to do that. This bill is about making a process that already exists for trans people uh, much more humane and less invasive. But it, of course, it is for Parliament to consider the many amendments that have been lodged and to reach a final view uh, on the bill next week. And Katie Clark. 
The General Secretary of the Communication Workers' Union has written to the First Minister to seek urgent talks about the future of postal services and as part of a bid to end the ongoing dispute with Royal Mail. Will the First Minister meet with the Communication Workers' Union and will she give consideration to what steps she can take to defend postal services? First Minister. Firstly, um, I uh, absolutely will be happy to consider uh, meeting uh, with the, the trade union. Um, I'm not sure if I have yet received the letter. I've seen it talked about in the media. And while this is not a matter within my responsibility, it is a reserve matter, um, I would be happy to consider any ways in which I can encourage uh, Royal Mail uh, to resolve this dispute in the interests uh, of postal uh, workers uh, across the, the country. My approach to industrial disputes is very simple. It is always to get round the table and to try to find resolution. Um, that is why, uh, despite the many concerns that I know NHS workers will continue to have uh, about the pay deal on offer in Scotland, uh, it is the approach this government and I take to these kind of disputes that means Scotland is the only part of the UK today that doesn't have strikes within our National Health Service. So yes, I will always look to see uh, what I can do to bring resolution uh, to uh, disputes like this one. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. A point of order, Murdo Fraser. I'm grateful, uh, Presiding Officer, on a point of order. You have in the past, as Presiding Officer, been very clear that it is a matter of courtesy to the Chamber that major government announcements are made firstly to this Chamber and not to the media. We are expecting uh, at 2.25 this afternoon a budget statement from the Deputy uh, First Minister to this Chamber. However, currently the BBC Scotland website are reporting in detail tax changes that will be brought forward in that budget statement, including increasing the higher rate of tax from 41 pence to 42 pence, and increasing the additional rate from 46 pence to 47 pence, and reducing the tax threshold for the top rate from 150,000 to 125,000. I'm sure you would share my concern and dismay that this has been communicated to the media, apparently, rather than firstly to the Chamber. Will you therefore in, uh, instigate an immediate investigation into the source of this leak to the BBC and ensure that proper courtesy is shown to the members of this chamber by the government? I thank Mr Fraser for his point of order. Uh, Mr Fraser is quite right. I have made it very clear on many occasions that it is my expectation that significant announcements are made to this Parliament in the first instance. I have not yet had an opportunity to examine the circumstances Mr Fraser describes and I will do so and will report to the Chamber in due course. Thank you. Point of order. Oh, sorry, I have a I have a proceeding point of order. Um, Mr Kerr, I will come to you. I call Neil Bibby for a point of order. Thank you, President. On a point of order similar to the point that Murdo Fraser has raised during First Minister's questions, the BBC has reported on their website Scottish Government plans on income tax. If this is accurate, this information should have been provided to Parliament. Can I therefore also ask that you use your time as presiding officer before the proposed statement to make contact with the Scottish Government to assess the accuracy of these reports and whether the information has been briefed by the Scottish Government and to consider the implications for the statement this afternoon? Thank you, Mr Bibby. Um, as I've previously said, I will look into these circumstances and I will report back to the Chamber. Um, Stephen Kerr? Uh, on the same uh, issue, uh, 
the members may say all, oh, but this is a matter of fundamental respect to the Scottish Parliament. And the truth of the matter is that this very specific detail that the BBC reported at 12.39 about the contents of the budget, if these are indeed accurate, as colleagues have said, then will the presiding officer insist, among other things, that the, finance, the temporary finance secretary and deputy first minister <coughs> apologise to this parliament? Yeah. Thank Mr. Kerr for his point of order. Um, as you will appreciate, I have been otherwise engaged. I have not yet appraised myself of the detail, and I will certainly look into this matter. Thank you. That concludes first minister's questions. There will be a brief pause before we move on to members' business.